Uh, today's short khatir, inshallah, one of the incidents of the seerah, which I find a lot of benefits and wisdom in. Uh, as we're all aware, the incident of Ta'if is well known to you, um, and it's been discussed so many times. But the trajectory of what happened to the people of Ta'if, the way that they accepted Islam, there's so many benefits and wisdoms in this. The tribe of Ta'if, what's the name of the tribe of Ta'if who can remind me? Thaqif, that was called Thaqif. And Thaqif and Quraysh were two rival tribes, right? They thought themselves to be the best of the Arabs. The tribe of Thaqif was one of the most obstinate and arrogant tribes. And it accepted Islam with great difficulty. We know the incident of Ta'if, the Prophet went there, they rejected him, uh, and they treated him very cruelly. And the name of Ibn Abdiyalil comes up, the one who was the chieftain of the tribe of Ta'if. So the Prophet went back to Mecca, Allah blessed him with Medina. After the conquest of Mecca, in the eighth year of the Hijrah, in the month of Shawwal, the Prophet right after conquering Mecca, attempted to conquer Ta'if as well. The famous battle of Hunayn took place. Hunayn. Hunayn was a partial victory because much of the army that was fighting against the Muslims, they fled back to Ta'if. So Hunayn itself was a victory in terms of Ghanima, in terms of getting the wealth. But the warriors, the majority of them fled back to Ta'if. They were not captured. And so the Prophet then from Hunayn went up to Ta'if. This is now the eighth year of the Hijrah, right? Ten years have gone by since he visited Ta'if the first time. And he laid siege to Ta'if. For more than one month, he laid siege to Ta'if. Books of Sirah say 40 days. He attempted multiple tactics. Salman al-Farisi, like he had at Ahzab, gave an idea. He now gave the idea. Which idea did he give in, in Ta'if? The khandaq is there, that's back in the, in the trench. Manjaniq, the catapult. So he taught the Muslims how to build a rudimentary catapult, which was unknown to the Arabs. Why? Because Ta'if is at the top of a mountain, and Ta'if has fortresses. Ta'if had a massive gate and wall, right? And Salman al-Farsi taught them to build a manjaniq, uh, a, a, a catapult, in order to try to defeat the system. But it was too much. Then the Muslims began to burn the crops outside of Ta'if, right? And when they did so, the people of Ta'if begged for mercy for their children and crops. Because, you know, when you destroy crops, right? It's not like destroying a building. What's the difference? A building, you build it in one week. Crops will require 20, 30 years. Crops means the legacy of, it's, it's like long term. And it's also even bad for the victors because when you conquer the city and there are no crops to feed you, it's actually even bad for the victors, right? So they begged that at least don't destroy our crops. So the Prophet ﷺ gave that command, don't destroy the crops, okay? After 40 days, the Prophet ﷺ decided that we'll leave Ta'if. So he went back to Medina, Ta'if is still unconquered. In the meantime, one of their chieftains, one of their most respected elders, Urwat ibn Mas'ud al-Thaqafi, by the way, pause here, footnote, in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, Urwa was the one who went to the process and grabbed him by the beard as a gesture of brotherhood. You know, they would, they would grab by the beard when they're speaking, right? And Urwa was the one who grabbed him by the beard. And 
One of the Sahaba, uh, Al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah, who was also from the tribe of Thaqif, he hit him with his spear, the, with the, the hilt of the sword, and he said, get your filthy hand off the beard of the Prophet wasallam." right? So not, you're not allowed to do this to the Prophet wasallam. But Al-Mughira attempted to bring the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, like he was soft, and he went to the Quraysh, he said, sorry, not Al-Mughira, um, uh, Urwa was he tried to bring a reconciliation and he said to the people of Quraysh, let them in. What's wrong? I mean, it's not a big deal. But they didn't listen to him. So Urwa had a soft spot. Eventually he accepted Islam. He visited the Prophet in Medina, the eighth year of the Hijrah. The Prophet said, Oh Urwa, I am worried for your life if you go back to Ta'if. Urwa laughed and said, Ya Rasulullah, my people, my qawm, they will listen to me. You don't know the respect I have amongst my people. If I say anything to them, they will obey me. That was the case before Islam. So the Prophet said, okay, if you want to go, go. And he went back and he stood on his house. He called the people and he said, oh people, I have an announcement to make. What is the announcement? Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad rasulullah destroy your idol, worship Allah alone. And he continued to exhort them until one of the ruffians stood up in front of everybody, took his, his bow and arrow and killed him, shot him on his own house. And he fell down dead and nobody did anything to defend. This was his fate. He died a shaheed at the hands of his own people. Despite the fact before this point in time, he was the most respected person of Ta'if. Even he could not imagine his people doing what he did. The Prophet knew better than him. And the Prophet said, Aksha alayk, I'm worried for you if you go back. Stay here in Medina. He said, no, Ya Rasulullah, my people, you, know, you don't know the respect they have for me. Actually, the Prophet knew his people better than he knew his own people. So they killed Urwat ibn Mas'ud, a Thaqafi, he died a shaheed. So then the Prophet continued the conquest. He's sending letters to Muqawqis, to Kisra, you know, to Qaisar. Uh, He's sending letters to all of these. He doesn't send letters to Ta'if. Let them be. Because there's nothing to be done for the people of Ta'if. Until finally, everything is conquered except Ta'if. And that's when the people of Ta'if realize we have no allies. The people of Thaqif, we don't have any allies. What are we going to do now? So then they decided to send a delegation, see if they could carve out some type of middle ground. See if they can work out some, you know, reconciliation between, you know, whatever they're upon, between, you know, this new empire and power that they know as Islam. And so, now here's a bit of a gray area controversy. According to some books, the same Ibn Abdi Alil, who taunted the Prophet was sent. According to others, it was a relative. So we're not 100% certain. But either way, somebody from that family, the, either the same person, which of course has very interesting implications, right? And I wish I could say that certainly and make the story, but unfortunately I have to be a little more academic and say we're not certain. Is it that same individual? Remember when he came to Ta'if 10, 11 years ago, the three chieftains mocked him, right? And they made fun of him. It is very possible one of those is now in the delegation and it is possible it's a relative. We're not 100% certain, right? In any case, regardless of whether it's the same person or not, the Prophet Sallallahu honored them. He set up special VIP tents outside the masjid for them. He made sure they were given the utmost hospitality. He allowed them to interact and see Islam firsthand. This was, by the way, a tactic the Prophet always employed. The psychology of seeing the ummah, right? This is 
and we understand this point, da'wah is not just argumentation. Da'wah is absorbing an Islamic ethos, Islamic society. See how Muslims are. See the generosity. See the akhlaq. So he wanted them to interact with the Muslims. And every day just treating them nicely. They spent, we don't know exactly, probably 14 days or maybe more. They spent in Medina. And the Prophet did not bring up any negotiations. He just wants them to see. Just wants them to live in the city of Medina and see the beauty of the akhlaq of the Sahaba. Until finally, they began to rethink through. But still, they're not certain. So, Ibn Abdi Alil or his cousin or brother, again, as I said, we're not so sure, certain, the same person or somebody from that family. He approaches, says, Ya Rasulullah, you know, or actually, I'm Muhammad, he's not a Muslim yet, excuse me. We have, we have a negotiation. We want to make a sulh. We want to make a treaty. So, the Prophet said, okay, what is your conditions? What do you have in mind? So, they said, and subhanAllah, what, this is one of the most bizarre incidents in the seerah, to be honest, right? They said, we are willing to accept your faith, but with some conditions. Number one, we're not going to give up zina. Number two, we're not going to give up drinking alcohol. And number three, we're not going to give up our idol. <laughs> what type of Islam is this? Okay. We, 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 we get some compromise, but we're going to remain upon certain things that we are. So the Prophet said, Zina is haram. There's no. They said, Ya Rasulullah, ma lana bud. We have to do zina. That's what they said, literally, right? We have to do zina. Astaghfirullah, that's their mentality, okay? We are people who are always traveling and we're not. We, we cannot be monogamous. And the Prophet said, Allah has made zina haram. Okay, how about khamr? Ya Rasulullah, we're used to khamr. We live in the mountains. We are, it gives us comfort and whatnot. And the Prophet said it is from the instruments of shaitan, etc., etc. So we cannot make any, you know, compromise here. So they said, what do we have to do to embrace your faith? The Prophet said, you have to pray five times a day. We cannot pray five times a day. That's too difficult. So, and this is really interesting. Sunan Abi Dawood has this. The Prophet agreed for a period of time that they pray two times a day. He gave that concession for a period of time. Now from this, a lot of controversy amongst later fuqaha. Is this an exception? Or, what I personally believe, a new convert, you give him some laxity. You know, a new convert, literally if he accepts Islam right now, you cannot expect him to learn Arabic, learn the Fatiha, and start praying Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib as it is. You give him case by case, you know, like, some leeway for a while. And this is the position of some ulama, it is also the one that I adopt, that the one who is in charge looks at this new convert and gently pushes him. So the Prophet agreed that they don't have to pray five times a day, you can start with two prayers a day. Then they said, what else do we have to do? The giving of zakah. Ya Rasulullah, we cannot give zakah, that's our money, okay? We have to go for jihad. The Prophet said, you have to go for jihad. Ya Rasulullah, we're not going to fight with you. We're not going to lose our children for you. The Prophet allowed them no zakah and no jihad. Pause here. A few days later when they left, he explained to the Sahaba, what is this psychology? He goes, Sayyatasaddaqoon wa sayujahidun. Yes, this is the condition I gave, but I know 
that they're going to be fasting and praying, or, um, uh, giving zakah, and they're going to be doing jihad. Just give them some time for iman to get in. This isn't a permanent condition, even though they thought it was permanent, right? But the Prophet ﷺ knew it's just a matter of time. They're going to join the group, but for now, I need to get their, get their uh, you know, uh, uh, iman, get them to accept Islam. So then they said, Ya Rasulullah, one thing we cannot give up. What is that? Our idol. We cannot give up our idol. Ar-Rabba was the name of the idol. Allah was outside, Ar-Rabba was inside. Their main idol was Ar-Rabba. They said, we cannot, this is, we have our entire culture, our entire theology built upon, upon this. So give us a few years, then we'll give up idolatry. Allow us to worship for a few more years. The Prophet said, no. They said, okay, three, no. Two years, no. One year, no. Six months, no. One month, no. It must be destroyed immediately. This was no compromise. They begged, they pleaded, zero compromise. We understand this point. And this shows you, subhanAllah, he compromised on prayer for a while. He compromised with them on sadaqah and zakah. He compromised, you know, on doing jihad with the Prophet All of this compromise. But idolatry, there is no compromise. You cannot worship other than Allah and be a Muslim. No. So then they said, but Ya Rasulullah, at least we should not, don't tell us to destroy our own God. Don't tell us to destroy our own idol. So the problem said, okay, I will send you people from Medina to destroy. So he did allow them this. And even in this, there's wisdom. Maybe some hardliner were saying, no, no, you must destroy. We're going to see it destroyed from your hearts. But see, you know, uh, Ibn Abbas has a statement, not regards to the, the tribe of Thaqif, but overall. Ibn Abbas has a statement reported in Sahih Muslim. He said, there were people who accepted Islam outwardly, even as their hearts hated it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought them and their hearts into Islam. Ibn Abbas is describing a phenomenon in Medina. A phenomenon that was well known. There were people who did not want to embrace Islam, but they did it, in this case for political reasons. And slowly Islam crept into their heart. And this shows us, and I have been very blunt in my Sira lectures, we don't have any problem saying this, we incentivize conversion. We incentivize conversion. Go ahead and convert for whatever reason. If you want to convert, convert. And we are confident we have the truth. So eventually, Iman will enter your heart. Right? That's the way we look at it. We incentivize conversion, no problem. So the Prophet allowed them to not destroy their own idol. He said, I will send people to destroy. You don't have to destroy it. Now, the story doesn't finish here. One final anecdote, which actually has some humor in it as well. So the Prophet said, Khalid ibn al-Walid and al-Mughira ibn Shu'bah. Al-Mughira was the only Sahabi from the tribe of Thaqif who lived in Medina. So Mughira ibn Shu'bah was from the tribe of Thaqif. He himself has a long story. I mentioned it in my Sira lectures and my Sahaba lectures. Very interesting story and you know, some sad bits as well. And he's now living in Medina. But he's from the tribe of Thaqif, born and raised in Ta'if. You know, Mughira is related to Urwa and everybody knows him. So Al-Mughira then comes with Khalid ibn Walid to destroy the idol of his youth. This is the idol he worshipped as a child. And Al-Mughira comes and he says to Khalid, hey look, give me the axe and just go along with what I'm going to do. Just don't do anything. Okay? So Al-Mughira takes the axe, takes you know the, the hammer, whatever it is, and he jumps on the, the idol. We assume it's a big idol. And he cracks it hard. And then he drops the axe, drops, and he pretends he's having a spasm, okay? 
the tribe stands up. Ah, look, you see, Ar-Rabba is attacking. Ar-Rabba is defending itself, right? He did an entire practical joke of the highest level. Like Ibrahim salam, you know, so many centuries ago said, oh, that idol did it, right? He pretended to have a spasm as if something's happening. The entire tribe is jumping for joy. What does that show of their iman? What does that show where their loyalties lie, right? And when they're jumping for joy, then Al-Mughira stands up completely normal, holds the axe, and he says, people used to say, Thaqif are the most intelligent. But wallahi, I am telling you, Thaqif, and he's one of them, is the most ahmaq, the most foolish. You think bricks and stones control you? Let me show you the reality. And he then continued to destroy until nothing was left, right? This is how you teach Tawheed to people that need to be taught it in that manner, right? Now, subhanAllah, you know, it took a while for them. But as we know, the people of Thaqif and Ta'if, eventually, they prayed five times a day. They're now fasting, praying. They're of the most righteous of Muslims. And we stop here and remind ourselves 15 years ago, what did the angel Jibreel say to the Prophet and what did Jibreel say, uh, Prophet say back to him? Jibreel said, if you want, Ya Rasulullah, Allah has given you permission. Get rid of these people. They're obstinate. They deserve it. If you want, we will hammer them. Nothing will be left of them. And the Prophet is thinking long term. And he said, no, even if they are obstinate from their progeny, from their children, there shall be righteous people. And this is the exact reality we find to this day. The people of Ta'if are of the best of people, of the kindest of people, of the warm, and they are the descendants of the people of Thaqif and also the akhlaq of the Prophet. Wallahi, amazing. You know, when somebody does something really nasty to me, hurts me, and then comes to apologize, I have to just bring up a little bit. You know, just poke a little bit and then say, okay, you're forgiven. Human nature. When they came to the Prophet, whether it's the same person or his relative, the Prophet never brought up what they had done to him. He didn't bring it up because there's no personal grudge. His heart was so pure, he didn't even mention how they humiliated him. He was just generous, kareem, hospitable, showing them the utmost kindness. How do you think that made them feel? So really in this incident, in this story of the people of Ta'if, so much benefits, so much points for us to think about. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to gain that, that mercy, that purity, to allow us to walk in the footsteps of our Prophet to have genuine care for other people and to forgive what they have done unto us. And inshallah we'll continue later on. Zakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقِينَ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقَاتِ وَالصَّائِمِينَ وَالصَّائِمَاتِ وَالْحَافِظِينَ فُرُوجَهُمْ وَالْحَافِظَاتِ وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ أَعَدَّ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ مَغْفِرَةً وَأَجْرًا عَظِيمًا